Welcome to Take Up and Read, a bite-sized Bible study podcast on the Sunday Catholic Mass readings. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. This Sunday is the 15th Sunday in Ordinary Time of Year C. Our first reading is Deuteronomy 30, verses 10 through 14, which comes toward the conclusion of Moses' discourses at the end of his life. Moses has been exhorting the Israelites to keep the laws he has laid out in Deuteronomy and anticipates the blessings and curses the people will face in the future as a function of their obedience. He even foretells the Assyrians and foretells the Assyrian and Babylonian exiles, as well as their end when the people return to the Lord their God with all their heart and all their soul. This is the context of the first verse in our lectionary selection. The rest of the passage argues that the people have no excuse for not following the law they have been given. It is something very near to you, already in your mouths and in your hearts. You only have to carry it out. Unlike other Near Eastern mystery religions and philosophies, Moses wants Israel to know that the Lord's law is accessible. St. Paul paraphrases the verses 11 through 14 here at Romans 10 verses 6 through 8 in order to make an analogous point about his contemporary Jewish brethren not having any excuse for not knowing Christ. The thrust of this reading as it relates to this Sunday's Gospel is that the individual precepts of the law are ultimately pointing toward love of God and neighbor. That love should be the interpretive key for understanding the rest of the legislation. Jesus will illustrate this in our Gospel in his parable of the Good Samaritan. Our psalm this Sunday is Psalm 69 a prayer reflecting the desolation, trials, and the hope of the Babylonian exiles. It reflects the oracles of the prophets who foretold the rescue of a righteous remnant of Israel that would return to Zion and rebuild the Davidic kingdom. Like Moses predicted in our first reading, the psalmist begs of his contemporaries, Turn to the Lord in your need, and you will live, for God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. The second option for our psalm this Sunday is Psalm 19 a psalm of King David, which proclaims the goodness of God's law, which is appropriate for our first reading in Gospel. Touching on the theme of the divine law's accessibility, the psalm declares that the command of the Lord is clear and gives wisdom to the simple. This Sunday's second reading is Colossians 1, verses 15-20, through 20, a hymn of St. Paul summarizing Christian belief. Beginning with, Christ Jesus is the image of the invisible God, note that the Greek word for image here is icon, which is the root of the English word icon. This is to say, therefore, that the man Jesus is the icon of God, or that God is incarnate in Jesus. This is a clear declaration that Jesus himself is God. Moreover, verse 19 says that in Jesus all fullness was pleased to dwell. The meaning of this phrase is made clear later in Colossians 2 verse 9, where Paul writes that in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. For that reason, verse 19 here is translated in the RSV as, In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, even though the word God is not in the original manuscript. This language is appropriated from the Greek version of Psalm 68 verse 17, and is deliberately evocative of the temple where, in a certain special sense, God dwelt among his people. Jesus is the new temple in whom God quite literally dwells among men in person during his earthly life, and now in the Eucharist. Paul calls Jesus the firstborn of all creation, which despite what we have just said, could sound like he is asserting that Jesus was created and thus not divine. Paul is actually using firstborn in a legal sense, 
in order to establish Jesus' dominion over creation as the rightful heir, so to speak, of his Father. Jesus' authority over all things, the visible and the invisible, is the subject of the rest of the passage. The Catechism of the Catholic Church cites verse 16 to establish that God created everything by the eternal word, his beloved Son. Furthermore, the Catechism says, He not only gives them being and existence, but also, and at every moment, upholds and sustains them in being, enables them to act, and brings them to their final end, echoing verse 17. See the Trinity Sunday episode for more resources on the theology at work here. Regarding the invisible portion of creation, Paul mentions thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. He was referring to various choirs or levels of the angelic hierarchy. I'll link to more information on the traditional nine choirs of angels in the show notes at studycatholic.com. Paul refers to Jesus being the head of the body, the church, drawing an analogy of the church being the body of Christ, as he so often does in his letters. Jesus is also the firstborn from the dead, so that where he has been, we might follow into eternal life. I think the end of this reading as rendered in the lectionary is very confusing, so I will quote the RSV translation to make its meaning more clear. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Here is a confession of the central mystery of the Christian faith. God the Son became man and reconciled all of creation to himself through his self-sacrifice on the cross. Our Gospel this Sunday is Luke 10, verses 25-37, one of the most famous of Jesus' parables and only found in this Gospel, the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is examined by a scholar of the Mosaic Law, who is obviously testing Jesus because he already has an answer to his own question. This passage is set immediately after Jesus has prayed aloud, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. This dynamic is evident in Jesus' interaction with the skeptical scholar, and in the ensuing parable it is the non-Jew who fulfills the Old Testament law in a manner exceeding that of the Jewish Levite and priest. By asking the scholar, how do you read it, Jesus is engaging in a common practice among his Jewish intellectual contemporaries, conversing and debating the finer points of the Law of Moses. As written Hebrew does not have any vowels, and no diacritic system had yet been devised, there are literally different ways to read the consonants-only text of the scriptures, depending on the reader's interpretation. Jesus and the scholar, however, agree that love of God and neighbor are the essence of the law, quoting Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 and Leviticus 19 verse 18. This should remind us of our first reading from Deuteronomy, with Moses asking the people, to turn to the Lord with all your heart and all your soul. The combination of love of God and neighbor is found elsewhere in Jewish literature as well. The scholar's follow-up, who is my neighbor, asked in order to justify his bringing the first question, prompts Jesus' parable. It is interesting to note that our Lord has asked the same question again by the rich young man at Luke 18 verse 18. We discussed the Samaritans and their relationship with the Jews a couple of weeks ago, but it is an important undercurrent of the Gospels, and especially bears repeating here. With this history in mind, it is easier to appreciate how disturbing the parable of the Good Samaritan may have sounded to first century Jewish ears. 
Samaria is a region of northern Israel that was once occupied by the northern tribes that split off from the, the Davidic monarchy at the beginning of the reign of Rehoboam, King Solomon's son. When the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom, they deported most of the population and resettled other conquered peoples in their place. This was a strategic policy intended to mitigate the chance of uprising among Assyria's oppressed populations. These foreign peoples intermarried with the Israelites left behind, and over the centuries developed distinctive cultural and religious traditions. In the eyes of many first-century Jews, the Samaritans were unclean half-breeds and traitors to the God of Israel, with a history of idolatry and a competing temple on Mount Gerizim. The ill will was mutual. Jesus, however, reaches out to the Samaritans in the course of his ministry as a part of his messianic mission to regather the lost tribes and bring all the nations to worship of the true God. In this sense, the parable of the Good Samaritan coincides with our first reading in Psalm, with this touching story compelling our Lord's listeners to reconsider their antagonism toward distant cousins and overwhelm this last vestige of their exile. Along with Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well, these are two of the most memorable scenes in the gospel, and obviously both would have shocked his Jewish listeners. Many Samaritans will accept the gospel at the beginning of the apostolic preaching in the book of Acts. The Levites, as we have discussed many times before, were entrusted with a ministerial role among the twelve tribes after the golden calf incident. Within the tribe of Levi, the priesthood was reserved for descent for those descended from Aaron, the brother of Moses. Such as these would have commanded the respect and deference of religious Jews, and so their being the foil of a heroic Samaritan makes the parable all the more surprising. Two quick notes before we get to the heart of the matter. First, it is 17 miles and a 3,200-foot drop in elevation from Jerusalem to Jericho. That kind of difficult path made the route ideal for banditry. Second, the two silver coins are actually specified to be Roman denarii in the Greek text. A denarius was a laborer's daily wage, with two denarii being sufficient to cover the injured man's care for a number of days. What is at question in this gospel reading is what does it mean to keep the law? The priest and Levite were concerned with maintaining their ritual cleanliness in relation to the Old Testament law's regulations for touching the dead. See Numbers 5, verse 2, and Leviticus 21, verses 1 and 2. In this case, the robber's victim is not yet dead, but only in danger of succumbing to his injuries. By their unnecessary caution in one aspect of the law, the priest and Levite dispensed with one of the overarching themes of the law, the obligation of loving their neighbor. The scholar who questions Jesus shows his honesty by agreeing that it was the Samaritan who fulfilled the law and acted as a good neighbor. And our Lord's final words continue to speak to us today. Go and do likewise. Jesus has been identified with a good Samaritan since the earliest days of the church, and it is easy to see why. In fact, Jesus quite literally performed the same deed earlier at Luke 7, verses 11-15, when he approached the dead son of the widow of Nain and brought him back to life. The Catechism refers to the parable of the good Samaritan as a figure of the Lord's forgiveness in the sacrament of penance. See paragraph 1465. The adoption of the term Good Samaritan into common parlance shows just how beloved this parable has been among the teachings of Jesus, a lived expression of his command that we love our enemies.
That's all we have time for today. Let's conclude with a collect from this Sunday's Mass. O God, who show the light of your truth to those who go astray, so that they may return to the right path, give all who for the faith they profess are accounted Christians the grace to reject whatever is contrary to the name of Christ and to strive after all that does it honor. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn more and find resources, visit studycatholic.com. And please tell your friends about the show and leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. Thanks again, and God bless.